Pray with me. Lord, what a gift it is to come together as your people at this time of year, grateful for all you've done for us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I pray you do a good work in each and every one of us today through the ministry of your word. And I pray that through this word, you would help us think your thoughts, that my words would be your words, that you would take every single heart here gathered, either in person or online, and bend our wills to yours and set our hearts on fire with love for you and for your son, Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. You know, I'm sure there's some who either online or in person stumbled in here this morning, or maybe you haven't been here in a few weeks for whatever reason, and all of a sudden you heard me say, it's Stewardship Sunday. <laughs> and you, you kind of you feel like that cockroach trapped in a corner by an angry woman with pointed shoes, you know? <laughs> ah! Not Stewardship Sunday. No, my friends, relax, okay, relax. This is not merely about our money. It's about all of our lives, right? And if you're visiting or a guest here today, we're just glad you're here. We're not after your money. Just drink it in, whatever the good news is out of this text here today. And as well, for those who are Christchurch members, or if you've been hanging around with us for a while, consider giving for this year, because it's all about discipleship and being all in, because the cheerful life is truly a generous life, because that's what this is about. So I invite you to turn with me to your, in your bulletins or in your Bibles or online and your, on your devices to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Last week we were in 2 Corinthians 8. Paul continues this conversation to the Corinthian church because ultimately he's concerned about their salvation. And their giving is evidence of it. He's concerned about their souls. He has sent in verses 1 through 5 partners in the gospel to ensure they get this. Basically he's saying, my buddies are coming. And this isn't Don Corleone, right? This is Paul, all right? This is Paul. He's sending his partners in the gospel to ensure that the Corinthian church will be prepared to give for the impoverished church that's in Jerusalem. And so he's concerned about them, and thus he wants to see the confirmation of their salvation. And so, recognizing, verses 1 through 5, that mere giving is itself not a sign of God's grace of redemption. It will save no one just by merely being a donor. The giving of the redeemed is a response to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in a person's life. We heard this last week in verse 9 of chapter 8. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Those who receive grace give grace and give generously. So what we're going to look at today is the nature of giving as well as the benefits of giving. Let's first look at the nature, all right? Verse 6, having described this careful orchestration of sending his partners, Paul now shows us that what willing and generous life looks like. First of all, it's bountifully generous. And Paul does this with an easily understood proverb. You've heard it before, all right? Verse 6, the point is this. 
Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. You see, there's two ways to sow, right? You can take a seed out of your pouch and plant it here and then plant another one and plant another one just like you were planting the crown jewels of England, right? You're taking care very meticulously to plant. And in the springtime, in the summer, next summer, it won't yield much, will it? But the, the other way to sow is to take a whole handful of seed and scatter it, right? Scatter it wide like you got a Scots spreader broadcast, right? You suburbanites know what I'm talking about. You're going and you're pushing that sucker and it's going all over the place. Such sowing with generous swings of the arm in the springtime will sprout accordingly and the harvest will be untold. But there's even more here because the proverb employs the Greek word sometimes translated blessing. It's used in the previous verse. So our text renders it bountifully, thus supplying, applying the literal sense of blessing, right? The proverb literally reads, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows with blessings will also reap blessings. So this goes back to the giver's heart and God's grace and the manner of our giving. God's give back blessing to those who give as a matter of blessing. Scott Hafeman, the scholar at Wheaton College, says, So it is not how much we give, but rather that we give as generously as possible with an attitude of the joy of blessing. Like the farmer who scatters broadly in anticipation of a great harvest. But it's even more so with respect to the spiritual reality that Paul is speaking of here. Because whoever sows with blessing will also reap blessing. You know that when you give, right? You're so blessed to give. Such sowing is literally charged with life. Great generosity births exponential blessings. So here's the bottom line. We are to be generous people. And when we give, we give generously, materially, and it glows with the golden light of eternity. Generosity unleashes that light. And to be generous is literally to be divine. The second Part of the nature of our giving is that it's also a willing giving. The logical conclusion of the proverb in verse 6, you know, is Paul's advice immediately follows in verse 7 that each one must give as he's made up in his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. This is based in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 15, when the Lord is calling God's people to give. Deuteronomy 15, 10, 11, you shall give to him freely in your heart. You shall not be grudging when you give to him because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. This is a cheerful call to give ungrudging. And it had a special reference in Deuteronomy 15 to the sabbatical year. Wouldn't it be great if all your debts were canceled every seven years? Right? Right? 
Israel was to forgive all those debts. But now, under the new covenant, those in Christ are to make such cheerful generosity the daily practice. There was a cartoon back in Dickens' era of two bankers sitting in a London club, and one of them is reading a Christmas carol. He's holding this book, and <laughs> one fellow says, What are you reading? And he scowled just with a scour on his face. Oh, it's that new book by that Dickens fellow. It's about a worthy banker named Scrooge who finally denigrates into a sentimental weakling. <laughs> Do you know any Christian Scrooges? Be careful how you answer that. The terms are mutually exclusive. It's impossible to be a Christian in a pre-ghostly Scrooge. After the ghost visit him, he's fine, you know, but they don't go together. Paul is teaching us that true faith in Christ and to be a Scrooge was vain. It's empty. Christians are to be generous who find it a cheerful venture. That's the nature of our giving. It's cheerful, it's willing, it's ready to do so. Well, what are the benefits of our giving? Well, that's what the rest of the passage is truly about. Verses 8 through 15, Paul now turns to the benefits of generous giving. First, there's personal benefits. The first is of which is sufficiency. You'll have sufficient funds, sufficient gifts to order to minister to people in every way. Verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. The simple truth is God will give us what we need in order to give to others. We'll always be rich enough to be somewhat generous. Do you doubt that? Then we doubt his grace. The grace with which this verse begins and God is able to make all grace abound to you. We also forget to mention that this grace refers to the same grace that was given to the Macedonian church who was absolutely impoverished. And so it says in the severe test of affliction in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 8, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So mentioning grace here in verse 8 is the seventh of eight references in chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians. It's all about the grace of God. And the point is that this grace has been given to us as it had been given to the Corinthians so that right now, like the Macedonians and the Corinthians, we have what we need to minister to others. God's grace is sufficient for every good work that he calls us to. Not only in, in our own gifts and talents, but also in our finances. The challenge for us is not our wealth or lack of it, but our belief and our obedience, according to Paul. The generous, giving heart will live in that grace. It says, so that having all sufficiency in all things and all times, you may abound in every good work. There will always be enough to be generous. The next benefit um, to the generosity is we're given a heart of righteousness. Verses 9 and 10, he is distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. 
He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. As you can see, verse 9 quotes a poetic line from Psalm 112, verse 9. The righteousness of the man in the psalm is proved by his care for the poor. And since it's a genuine care, it endures forever. So he continues that idea in verse 10 by citing Isaiah 55, 10. Almost word from word. He who supplies seed for to the sower and bread for food. And then he alludes to Hosea 10, 12, telling his readers that God supplies seed to the sower and multiplies their seed. In other words, material resources. And thus the increase of the harvest of their righteous lives in other people. The harvest of the Corinthians' righteousness will increase personally and then will spread to the church in Jerusalem with thanksgiving and glory to God as described in the remaining verses. So what we see here is that willing and generous giving people enjoy sufficiency in the harvest of righteousness that goes beyond themselves. And it results in church-wide benefits. Those first were personal benefits. Well, here's some church-wide benefits. Verse 11, you'll be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. The Corinthians' blessing through giving was not material prosperity. Their financial condition would wax and wane like that of anybody else. But they would be blessed by God himself in receiving it. The overarching benefit was that the wider church would then, upon receiving the Corinthians' gift, would pour out thanksgiving to God. And with being a thankful people, the world sits up and takes notice. Verse 13, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. See, by the Corinthians embracing the good news of Jesus would be proved not only by their confession of their belief, but by their submission in all areas of their lives and their generous contributions to the impoverished church in Jerusalem. And there in the city of Jerusalem, predominantly Jewish believers, culturally absolutely opposite of the Corinthians, would be demonstrated in their lives of righteousness. And therefore, they would count them as brothers and sisters. The Jewish believers would say, man, those Corinthians are the real deal. Remember, the word Corinthians meant in the ancient world oversexed. All right? When you were Corinthians, that means you were extremely sexually active, all right? So therefore, imagine these, these very obedient Jews now come to faith in Jesus Christ culturally, living unto the law, walking in holiness and righteousness, receiving from the Corinthians this gift. And they would know the Corinthians are the real deal. The third benefit as a community, was affection for the Corinthians themselves. In other words, the church really, as they give to one another and bless one another and take care of one another, develop an affection for one another. Verse 14, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God for you. 
There it is, the eighth mention of grace. Paul anticipates the surpassing grace of God will produce a generous offering. He knows that the Jewish believers from this point on will long for the Gentiles and make them a focus of prayer, enhancing the wider unity of the church across the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire will sit up and take notice. See, the church-wide benefits of ready, willing, and generous giving then and now are remarkable. Thanksgiving to God, glory to God, and a bond of affection within the church. And so Paul caps this off, and he can't hold himself back. You heard it. Some of you said amen to it. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. He was giving thanks, of course, for the gift of God in Jesus Christ. And this is the first time this Greek word that is translated inexpressible appears anywhere in the Greek language. All right? Paul could find no word to describe the ineffable character of God's gift to him, so he made it up. He said, a word that says in effect that this gift can't even be described. That's the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to each and every one of us. Thanks be to God. And so we must understand from this that Paul's call to ready, willing, and generous giving is not a call to reach deep down into your pocket. Rather, it's a call to authentic trust in Jesus Christ, repent, believe, and follow. It's a call to rise to his best within us. It's not a call to save ourselves, but to demonstrate by our giving that our faith is the real deal. There's no such thing as a Christian Scrooge. Christians give. Generous giving is the evidence of an authentic, believing heart in every aspect of our lives. When we talk about money, just talk about your time, talk about your, your ministry and your talents and your gifts. It all flows from an authentic, believing heart. St. Augustine said it this way, where your pleasure is, there's your treasure. Where your treasure is, there's your heart. And where your heart is, there's your happiness. The call is to be ready, willing, generous, all in, and that's a cheerful life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the work you've done in each and every one of us. And I pray that as we dive in with all that we are this year, going into 2022, I pray that you would do a good work in each and every one of us for your glory. And Lord, that our lives would be cheerful lives. Lives that the world would sit up and say, there's something different about you. And Lord, may it begin today, living lives of great cheerfulness that is generous, willing, and ready. Bringing the benefits that Paul spoke about to the Corinthians. For we know you love cheerful givers. Make us such, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so now